Well, this is the fourth week of our focus series that we're doing, where we are sort of outlining different stages of faith in Jesus. And last week, or actually the second week, we talked about or talked to people who are looking for something. And we said that, you know, 30 years ago, if someone would have showed up to church and they hadn't been in church for a very long time, chances are they would have known exactly what they were going to get. They knew what they were looking for. Well, fast forward a few years today, there are more and more people in the United States who have not been a part of the church, don't really know what Christianity is about, but, but they just know that something is not right in their life. They don't really know, you know how to have a good marriage, or they're raising kids and they're freaked out about that, or there just is something missing in their life, and so they say, well, other people go to church because... I guess they find purpose in that, but I don't really know what I'm looking for. And so we talked about how Jesus meets that need. You know, Jesus says that what we are all looking for, they're all physical manifestations of a spiritual need that we have, and he calls that the kingdom of God. Well, last week we talked to people who have found it. Uh, Many people, there are many people who would say that they are Christians, maybe to the point where they would say, I've made a commitment to Jesus, but it really hasn't gone a whole lot further than that. It might be that they don't know much about the Bible, or it might might just simply be that faith doesn't have a lot to do with their everyday life, and it's just kind of a separate thing for them that they pull out when hard times come, but it doesn't really change them. It doesn't really transform them. Well, today we're going to talk about or talk to, uh, I guess, a stage that I would guess maybe most of us in this room would claim that we are at. It's what we call following it. Now, What this is, is people who have not only made a commitment to Jesus, but you increasingly want to grow in your commitment to him, want to become more like him and your knowledge and your character and how you act, how you react to people in your life. For you, faith is more than just a one-time commitment, but it's a way of life. And like I said, I think this is probably where most of us in this sanctuary are today. And each, each week that we've talked about these different areas, we've also talked about barriers and breakdowns. In other words, um, a barrier is anything that keeps us from growing in our faith, anything that keeps us from moving on to the next stage. And so when we hit those barriers, either we break down or we break through to a new season of growth. Now, in our small group, we had an interesting conversation last week. A number of people actually shared about times where they were at a stage, let's say they were at a stage that they would call following it, and actually hit a barrier and went backwards on the, on the continuum. And I just want to let you know, that's something that's possible. So for one, the barrier that they hit was alcohol abuse. For another, they uh, lost their Christian community and became a part of sort of a partying community, and so they started to go backward. For another one, it was just the desire to fit in with other people. But I want you to know it's possible not just to move forward, but it's also possible to move backward at any point in life as well. Now, once we get to this stage of following it, you might also think that, well, this is sort of the pinnacle. This is what Jesus asked of us. This is what Jesus really wanted, and there are no stages beyond it. But actually, I believe that that is not the case. I think there is another stage to go to, one that we call being all about it. And I believe that all about it is Jesus' goal for his disciples. And that's why he told parables to people like the man who found the treasure hidden in a field. And what did he do? It said, in his joy... He sold everything that he had 
and bought that field. Okay, that's what Jesus is talking about. This is a guy who is all about the kingdom of God. It's also why he teaches things like, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple, and whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. That's a a description of someone who is all in, who is all about it. Now, I also believe that getting to the last stage is something that is characterized, and I think this is maybe a good way of articulating um, what faith, mature faith looks like. Um, and, and it's, I guess, articulated in three different relationships. Your relationship with God, your relationship with God's people, the church, and your relationship with the world. Now, Mike Breen uh, of 3DM describes it as up, um, in, and out, uh, we at the church here actually articulate the same kind of thing by talking about as finding life through Christ, sharing life with the church, and giving life to the world. And so when we get to the point where we would say that we're following it, but we can't seem to move beyond it, oftentimes it has to do with the fact that we are neglecting one of those relationships, and so we get out of balance. Now what we found in my 20-some years of ministry is that most Christians fail to move beyond this stage really for one particular reason, one particular, one big barrier, and I would call that barrier consumerism. Now, there's a, um, I know that there are probably some of you who are saying, well, that's a big word and not theological necessarily, sociological word, I guess. This is going to be so boring. Okay, I promise it's not going to be. So let me, let me, when we talk about consumerism, I'm not talking about the worship music industry, all right? When I talk about consumerism, I'm not talking, I'm not saying that Christians buy too much Christian music or too many Christian books or listen to podcasts of celebrity pastors or anything like that. That's not what I'm talking about. Okay, what I'm talking about is the mindset that my faith is about my own happiness and my own spiritual growth. Okay, certainly those are fine things. I think it's okay to want to be happy. I think it's great that we want to grow spiritually, but this is not actually the picture that Jesus gives of a mature believer in Scripture. And so the question is, is how did we get from Jesus' ideal of faith to this sort of consumer mentality? Well, I want to go back and tell you a little story in the United States. Edward Bernays, maybe you've never heard of him before, but he was the nephew of Sigmund Freud. Now, Freud is known for many things, one of them you know, being analyzing dreams, another one is that he was known for sexualizing everything, it seems, or at least that's what you hear about him. But he was also one of the first people to articulate the idea that what people say they want and what they actually want are two different things. That we have these sort of desires that are dangerous inside of us and they need to be controlled. And, uh, and those were sort of his ideas. Now, Bernays, who, again, was his nephew, was born in Austria, Austria, but raised in the United States. He was very familiar with his uncle's ideas and was actually the one who popularized his ideas in the United States. He started out as a journalist and became a press agent, and he promoted stage plays and ballets and other forms of entertainment um, using many of his uncle's ideas about how the human psyche works. In fact, he was so successful that during World War I, the U.S. government contacted him and wanted help to build support for the war among the people of the United States. And, and he called, actually, what he was doing psychological warfare. 
Now, after his success during wartime, the war ended, and he realized that he could probably apply his uncle's ideas to peacetime as well, and he became the pioneer of what we know as public relations or or modern-day marketing. Now, up to that point, advertisers would try to sell a product by painting it in its best light, by highlighting the features of it here, the benefits for you, and to appeal to people's rationality, to their, to their rational side. But Bernays, knowing that what we say we want and what we actually want are two different things, had another idea. He started to appeal to their desires rather than to their practical side. He began to sell products by associating them with a particular desirable lifestyle or image. Now, of course, we know this happens today, but this was revolutionary at the time. And in fact, he was very successful. And in fact, he was so successful that, uh, that marketing, uh, that, uh, that companies and banks took notice of it and realized that if they wanted the economy to grow, if they wanted their company to grow, then they needed to start to use this type of advertising. In fact, uh, a guy named Paul Mazur of Lehman Brothers wrote this once. He said, we must shift America from a needs to a desires culture. People must be trained to desire, to want new things even before the old had entirely been consumed. We must shape a new mentality in America. Man's desires must overshadow his needs. Now, they believed that they were doing the world a favor, the country a favor, by creating jobs and creating demand for products and producing a booming economy. But maybe, well, maybe they did know that they were not just changing the economy, they were actually changing the character of an entire culture. And this quote from one journalist in 1927 captures it perfectly. The American citizen's first importance to his country is no longer that of citizen, but that of consumer. Citizen, consumer. Citizen, consumer. Okay, what's the difference between a citizen and a consumer? Well, the difference is is that a a citizen sees herself as uh, an active participant. Not only does she receive the benefits of citizenship, but she also accepts the responsibility of it. She votes according to what's good for the country, not just according to what will get her the most benefits. She considers not just her own generation, but also the next generation and the generation after that. On the other hand, the consumer always asks first, how will this benefit me? How will it make me happy? In a country full of consumers, politicians lick their finger, stick it in the air, see which way the public opinion is blowing, and then they tell people what they want to hear so that they can be elected. Citizens grow and mature and they take responsibility for their country, but consumers regress into infancy where we become slaves to our desires, we expect to be spoon-fed, and we throw fits when we don't get what we want. And there is hardly any aspect of American life today that hasn't been touched by consumerism, even the church. Now, this creates a real dilemma for churches, I have to tell you. On the one hand, one basic principle of mission is that in order to reach a people group, you have to learn to speak the language, you have to communicate using the tools of their culture. 
But of course, not every aspect of culture is good. Not every aspect of culture is consistent with the gospel. And so the dilemma is, is that while we need to meet people with a consumer mindset or in a consumer mindset to reach them, then we have to disciple people away from that mindset to the mind of Christ who taught things like the first will be last and the last will be first. Whoever wants to be greatest among you must learn to be your servant. And blessed are you when people persecute you because of me. Those are really hard sells in a culture like today. Now, there isn't a consensus in churches about how we should do that, how we should present the gospel in a consumer culture. We always have to be aware of the tensions. We have to be aware of the the pitfalls of going one way or another. But the task isn't really that different than the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 where he says, I become all things to all men that I might by all possible means save some. Okay, And so from the music that we use, the topics that we preach on, the language that we use, the way we structure the church, you know, we want it to communicate to people who are brought up in a consumer culture. But of course, the danger of this is that we were brought, in, in this, brought up in this same consumer culture too. And as with any other aspect of culture, it's not always easy to discern. There's not always a fine line, or always a clear line What is culture and what is Christianity? What is acceptable and what is not? But what is clear is that there are some aspects of consumer culture that create barriers to growth in long-time Christians. And I believe that the biggest barrier that we have when we get to this point of following it is to be a spiritual consumer rather than a disciple-maker. It's It's subtle, Okay? This idea of being a consumer is very subtle because it oftentimes masks itself as a desire for spiritual growth. Okay? Now, first let me say that I believe that every person, every believer needs to be a personal disciple of Jesus. Okay? We need to grow in our knowledge and our love for God. We need to learn to practice our trust in Jesus and to do that in community. We need to care for our souls through prayer and scripture and gathering together for worship. These are essential for our growth. But all of these things can also be done with a consumer mindset. And what happens is, is when we do it with a consumer mindset, it causes a number of breakdowns in our faith. One breakdown is that it makes us internally focused. In other words, our only concern becomes our own personal spiritual growth. And over the course of my ministry, and it's been probably 21 years, I think, there's a phrase that I've heard countless times from Christians. It's a phrase, I just want to go deeper. Now, usually what this means is one of two things, okay? For people who know the Bible and love the Bible and love to study the Bible, that usually means I want to study the Bible more. For people who have deep emotional connection with Jesus, have um, incredible worship experiences and a vibrant prayer life, usually that means they want a more intimate worship experience and vibrant prayer life. In other words, usually that means I want more of what I already have. And in some ways, this is also a consumer mindset. You know, I already have last year's iPhone, but I need this year's as well. And both of those practices are great. Again, I hope everyone develops a love for Scripture and spends time in the Word and has a deep connection, deep intimate connection with Jesus. 
But constant input without exercise makes us fat, right? And nowhere in the Gospels does Jesus sit down with his disciples and say, what I want more than anything in the world is that you have an amazing quiet time. I want you to love to study the Bible so much that you can quibble about the, Greek mean, the meaning of the original Greek words. Never see Jesus saying things like that. Now, he models a deep, intimate spiritual life. He knows the scriptures incredibly well, but he never says that's the goal. Those are always the means to being able to live out the kind of life that he calls us to live. And so all of those practices that we do, whether it's studying scripture or worship or gathering together as a community, are not intended to turn us inward. They're intended to turn us outward. The first breakdown is that it makes us inwardly focused. The second breakdown is that a consumer mindset makes us overly critical. In a consumer society, the consumer is always right. Because customers, they don't have a stake in the company, but the, customer, but the company has to do what the customer wants or else he'll take his business elsewhere. And enough people do that, then the, the company won't exist anymore. And so the consumer feels empowered simply by the fact that he has an opinion. And it's not the job of the customer to improve the product. It's not the job of the customer to make sure that the company continues to exist. It's only to fill out a survey to give his opinion or take his business elsewhere. And what happens in a church is, is that you find that criticism is very easy, but leadership is very hard. And sometimes people don't know the line between those two things. And oftentimes when we become overly critical, we tend to be critical about things that don't really matter that much. And so a consumer mindset makes us overly critical. Third, a consumer mindset stunts stunts our growth. Consumerism is based on the mindset, uh, based on the goal of making the customer happy. Then the customer never can really grow. Um, There's an old Burger King slogan. It's been a few years now, but they used to say, have it your way. And of course, that is, I think, the mantra of our age, isn't it? See, but when everything is catered to our wishes and our desires, then we never have to learn things like patience and perseverance. Christian character traits like self-discipline and self-sacrifice are key characteristics in the Christian life, but they're completely useless when it comes to consumerism. And so sometimes the worst thing that can happen to us is to get what we want. Sometimes the best thing that can happen to us is for us not to get what we want. Because it's in those moments of challenge that we grow and we learn to to persevere. And because of this, consumerism also renders us unfruitful. Jesus says in John 15, 8, he says, This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, proving yourselves to be my disciples. So Jesus wants us to bear fruit. Now, the, the only concern of the consumer is himself. It's all about what I want. Even in the church, everything is always about my growth. And if that's the case, then I can just pay my tithe and I can expect everything to be catered to me. I can expect to be spoon-fed. Okay, but imagine in a church if that was everyone's attitude. Okay, if everyone just wanted to be led, there would be no leaders. If everyone just wanted to be taught, there would be no teachers. And not only would individuals be unfruitful, but the entire church would be unfruitful as well. And I've seen this 
with countless people in ministry, or in my ministry, people who think that the reason they're not growing is because they need better preaching. Now, maybe they do need better preaching. Uh, Sometimes they think the reason that they're not growing is because they haven't been in the right Bible study or don't have precise enough theology. Now, when someone is new to faith, they need these things. They need to have that knowledge. They need to learn to get into the Word, to to become uh, fluent in Scripture. They need to know what Jesus is teaching them and telling them. But what I found is that more often than not, that when people get to this stage, to the following it stage of their faith, then growth is almost always jump-started when they stop focusing on their own growth and start to focus on the growth of other people. In other words, they move from a consumer mindset to a disciple-maker mindset. See, what, and what we often miss in Scripture is that this is ultimately what Jesus was calling his disciples to. Okay, I'm gonna, let's walk through a little bit uh, of the ministry of Jesus. Now, this is certainly not the only thing, but I want you to see it here. I want you to see this thread that runs through the ministry of Jesus and the expectations that he has of his people. Okay, starting in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus calls his first two disciples, Simon Peter and Andrew. Okay, and here's how it happened. Uh, it, It says, As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. Okay? And so you see, right up front, when Jesus makes the call of his first disciples, he's saying, here's going to be the outcome of me discipling you, is that you are going to go out and you're going to fish for people. Um, and after that, Jesus was going around for the next few chapters, preaching the good news of the kingdom, healing the sick, casting out demons. And then in chapter 9, he gets to this point where there are just people all over the place, and, and it creates this picture here. And this is what it says. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said, I will shepherd them myself. He didn't say that, did he? No, look at what he says. He says, Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Then, I want you to notice what he does next in, in Matthew chapter 10. Not only does he ask the disciples to pray for workers to go out into the harvest, immediately in chapter 10, he sends them out. And what is he sending them out to do? He's sending them out to practice ministry, to to go out and, and try to make disciples. And then they would come back and report to him and he would teach them some more. Okay, but lest we think that it was only the 12, in, in the book of Luke, this same account, a little bit later, Jesus does the same thing with 72 in, uh, in Luke chapter 10, clearly this was an expectation that Jesus had of his followers that they would not just consume his word, but they would be people who would also pass it along. Fast forward a few chapters to Matthew chapter 25, Jesus tells the parable of the talents or the parable of the bags of gold in the NIV, where the master goes away on the journey, he entrusts his servants with his resources And when he comes back, what do we find out? That the master had this expectation that you don't just bury his resources in the sand, but you do something with them so that they grow. And what is it that they're supposed to make? What is it they're supposed to earn? 
Well, I think the answer is found in Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. Jesus was getting ready to leave, his, uh, leave and to give his followers one last bit of instruction. And, and this is what it says. Then he came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Well, the passage that we read earlier, Acts chapter 1, is a parallel version of sorts to the Great Commission. And it starts with a flashback to Jesus' ministry. We don't know whether this was before or after the resurrection. But at some, one point, Jesus sat down with his disciples and he gave them these instructions. He says, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then in that same passage, before Jesus ascended, he told them, you will be my witnesses in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And then he was taken up into, into heaven. And it says that the disciples, after he um, went up into heaven, that the disciples were staring up into the sky. And you can imagine that this is probably what we would do as well. I'm not going to be too, too hard on the disciples. I think I would probably do a little gawking too. And that's when the two men in white robes showed up and they said, Hey guys, what are you doing? Why are you just staring up into the sky? The same Jesus who just left is coming back and now you've got work to do. And so you see this thread all through the ministry of, of Jesus. Jesus expected his followers to disciple others. In fact, discipling others completes the process that Jesus is training us for. And it's not just an individual thing, it's a communal thing. And that thing that I'm talking about is called the church. It wasn't your idea and it wasn't my idea, it was Jesus' idea. But he didn't create it for your happiness or your self-actualization or to give you tips of how to grow by yourself. Okay? The purpose of the church is to make disciples. Now, that doesn't look the same for everyone. There are some people who can teach and some people who can't. Some are gifted in counseling people one-on-one -on -one, and some people are not. But everyone has the ability and the responsibility in one way or another to invest in the next generation of the church. And the job of church leadership, so me and Keith and the board and you know, whoever else is a part of the church leadership, isn't to create spiritual goods and services for you to consume. Okay? But here's what the Apostle Paul says is the job of church leadership in uh, Ephesians chapter 4. So Christ gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, you can uh, lump them together and just say, God, Christ gave leaders to the church to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and then the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Now think about that. Hey, think about that image of the church as each part does its work. Then the church is effective in, in making disciples. See, the, the church has a worship service, but the worship service is not the church. The church has a building, but the building is not the church. 
The church necessarily has structure, but the structure is not the church. The church has leaders, but the leaders are not the church. You, me, us, together, we are the church. And our call is to make disciples. Okay, so let me ask you a question. For those of you who are Christians, why are you a Christian today? My guess is, is if I were to go around and ask each one of you, you would say that the reason I'm a Christian today is because someone invested in me. Someone told me about Jesus. Someone modeled a life of what it means to to know Jesus. My guess is if I were to ask those of you who would say, yeah, I'm following it, who are more advanced and mature in your faith, and I would ask you, how did you get there? How did you get to this point in your faith? Most of you would probably point to someone who you could say, they invested in me. I watched their life, and that's the reason that I am where I am today. For me, it was people like Sheila and May and Larry and Mary and Adrian who taught me Sunday school and taught me the basics of the faith and who led my, my youth group when I was growing up, Pastor Daryl Wagner, who modeled a life of integrity. My parents, who always made sure that we were in church three times a week, but also modeled it. It was my friend Chad, who in college inspired me as we met together and as we confessed our sins to each other and prayed together. I mean, there's a whole host of people who got me to where I am today. That's the kind of thing that I'm talking about, and I would guess that you would have your own list of people, some of them probably right here in this room. A couple of weeks ago, we had a longtime member, Eileen Montague, pass away. And uh, it was after her funeral service that, that something really hit me. I've been here at the church, I've been pastoring here for about eight and a half years. Um, And in those eight and a half years, I would guess that we have probably lost 15 of that generation who who have passed away. And it was a generation who gave countless hours and work and prayers and dollars to the ministry of this church and to the kingdom. And some of you are still apart, are still here. You know, I don't want to talk about this generation past tense. Many of you are still here and you've put in your heart and soul into this church and into the ministry here. And, uh, and you continue to. And, um, and I just think that I don't and maybe we don't thank you enough for the blood, sweat, and tears that you have put into this church and building the foundation that, that we continue to build on today. And in fact, it made me think that maybe there are some of you who want to express thanks to that too. So can we just thank this older generation? I think that's something that we don't do enough of, but many of these people are the reason why you're here today. So let me ask you a question. Who is going to be here in 30 years because of you? Who is going to be someone who finds life in Jesus 
And it's because you were willing to invest the time in them, that you taught them, that you modeled life for them, that you continued to stick with them when they messed up and they knew that you were always there for them, but you intentionally invested in them. Who is going to be here in 30 years because of you? Of course, many things have changed um, in the church in the last 30 years. Change is part of life. That's the way life goes. But there always has to be another generation that comes up and takes the baton and passes it on to the generation after that and the generation after that and the generation after that. Yeah, how we do ministry is different today than we did it in the past, and chances are the people that we hand the baton off to in a few years will do it differently than we do, and they'll wonder why we did the things that we did, right? But what it will take to pass the baton on to the next generation is the same thing that will move you to the next stage of your faith. It'll take a shift in your mindset from being consumer to being a disciple maker. And as I said, the job of leaders, leadership is to equip you to be able to do that. And next week, what we're going to be talking about is, is sort of unveiling the picture of how we do that here in the church, how you can get involved in that. And for those of you who would say, I'm at this stage and I want to move on, I want to be all about it, I want to be the one who, who makes disciples, it'll be great for you. But also if you're not here yet, Okay, if you wouldn't say, yeah, I'm following him and I want to learn, it's going to be an opportunity for you to learn, to, to, to know the opportunities that we will have available for you to be able to grow into your, grow your faith and grow into sort of the next stages of, of maturity in Christ. And so that's what we're going to be talking about next week. Of course, um, one aspect of making disciples that we do here, and it's not everything that we do, but is, is small groups. And we're looking to expand our small group ministry, which is why we're going to be holding an informational meeting right after, uh, right after worship at about 1130. Um, and so if you're interested in that, if, if God is stirring something in your hearts, even if you go, man, I've never thought about being a small group leader, and you don't know if that's what God is calling you to, just come and check it out. Just come and say, all right, I'm, I'm open to it. Uh, but for everyone who would say that you're in this stage, here's what I want you to do this week, okay? Is I just want you to spend a good amount of time in prayer this week and asking God, God, what does it mean for me to be a disciple maker? Maybe you can ask the question, who is there in my life that you're asking me to invest in? And next week, Come with the expectation that God will make it clear to you. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you. I just want to give you thanks for the many people in the churches that I was in growing up and going through uh, my ministry training and, and even here at the church, the people that I can look at and I can say, yeah, that's what a life with Jesus looks like. I just want to give you thanks for those people. And Lord, I would pray that you would help me to get beyond a consumer mindset where I think that everything is just about my own spiritual growth 
And I don't consider the next generations. I don't consider people who don't know you. I don't consider the young believers who are trying to find their way in this life. But Lord, I I pray that my search for you would continue by reaching out to the people around me and helping them to develop their faith so that they can learn to know you, to follow you, and to give everything to you. God, I thank you that you found me. I thank you that you continue to love me even when I mess things up. I thank you that you give me strength to move forward in my life. Lord, I pray for this church, that we would be a church that takes this task of making disciples seriously. That we don't get sidetracked from the mission that you have given us. That we're willing to dive into the nitty-gritty of life and to show people what it means to follow you and to live as part of your kingdom. May you work in our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.